<laughs> Hi, ladies. How are you doing tonight? I am so, so beyond thrilled to be here with you. And just to be in a room full of women this size is absolutely incredible. I love that little clip from the Grinch movie, Christmas. It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzed till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Tonight we're going to talk about what that more of Christmas is, and I am going to tell you my Grinchiest Christmas story ever in just a little bit. Um, before we get started, I want to show you a picture of my family so that you understand why I appreciate a girls' night out. Um, these are my men. I'm surrounded by them. This is my husband, Kevin. We've been married for almost 19 years. I have an oldest son, Eli. He's 13, 10-year-old Lincoln, and 8-year-old Nolan. And I love them. I mean, they are like my Christmas gift. But because for the past decade or longer, I have been surrounded by testosterone, um, it's good to be here with women. And um, I, I know this is a fancy lady event, so I hope this doesn't offend you. But because I'm surrounded by testosterone, I'm also surrounded by things like fart smells and fart jokes, and fart noises. Like, just male farting energy is always in my house. And so it's um, good to be here with you ladies where you smell of things like essential oils. <laughs> and <laughs> you smell, yeah, you smell of candles, and you smell of body lotions. And I'm just, when Kelly had us breathe in, I was like, thank you, God, that this is a room <laughs> full of women. So I am so excited to be here with you today. How many of you are here with your girlfriends or maybe one of your like w important women in your life? Yeah, probably all of you, right? I don't know about you, but um, my best friends are the ones who have vowed that if I am ever lying unconscious in a hospital bed, they will do whatever it takes. They will um, break down doors, they will knock over security guards, they will jump through hoops to sneak into my hospital room and deal with my unruly facial hair. <laughs> um, my best friends, they're here tonight. They have vowed that they will pluck me. They will wax me. They will shave me. They will do whatever it takes to make sure that I never lie in a hospital looking like the bearded lady. And um, for that, I'm grateful. So thank you, friends, for being my people. I uh, had another group of girlfriends that were staying with me recently for graduate school. We're all in an all-female cohort together. And my husband really graciously took our boys away for the week. So I had a group of gals staying at our house. It was like a sorority house. It was really, really fun for the week. And um, <laughs> You know how ladies just stay up and you get giddy and then you start talking about things that are inappropriate? Well, this one's not too inappropriate, but we stayed up late and for some reason we started talking about home invasion stories. 
which I'm sorry if this is triggering for anyone here, I really am. We started talking about like celebrity break-ins and then real life break-ins, and I don't really know why, but that's what we were up late doing and laughing about them for some reason, which is not appropriate. But um, I went to bed that night, and I had a nightmare that someone was breaking into my house. Now here's what you need to know about me. I am not an anxious person. I don't really deal with anxiety during the day. But um, at night, all of my anxiety like comes to the forefront, and I am the most anxious sleeper you will ever meet. My husband, we've been married for 19 years, and if I go to bed before him, he still has to walk into our bedroom going, it's Kevin, it's Kevin, it's Kevin. <laughs> because I'll scream, really, I'll start screaming. Like, our boys don't actually come wake me up. They go all the way around the bed to wake up Kevin because they know mom's going to start screaming, and then it freaks them out. <laughs> so um, the other thing that I do when Kevin is out of town, this will tell you a little bit how crazy I am, I actually sleep with a butcher knife in, in bed with me. And, um, you know, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I'm not strong. I'm not agile. I'm not going to be able to knife an intruder who breaks into my home. If anything, I'm handing them a weapon with which to knife me. You know what I mean? But this is what I do. This is the kind of anxious sleeper that I am. So I've got these girlfriends staying at my house for the week. We're telling break-in stories. I have a nightmare that someone breaks into my home. And you know how um, when you're dreaming and you want to run and you can't run? It's like you're stuck in concrete or whatever. And you know how in your dream when you want to scream, you can't scream? Well, so I'm having this nightmare, and in it, I'm trying to run away from the person breaking into my house, and I'm trying to scream, but I can't do either. But apparently, in real life, I'm actually making a noise, <laughs> crying for help. And apparently, I'm saying something like this. I do it long enough and loud enough that my friend who's staying across the hall comes running into the bedroom, but she hasn't introduced herself. She doesn't say, you know, it's Micah, it's Micah, it's Micah. So she comes in and I start screaming and I actually go for the butcher knife. And then she starts screaming. Thankfully, we both sort of snap out of it and I don't actually knife my friend while she's staying with me. I haven't slept with a butcher knife since that happened, just so you know. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's worth applauding for. The best part about that story is now it's become like an inside joke. So if, you know, school's stressful or if just life is stressful, we'll call each other and we'll all be like, <laughs> but this is what I love about girlfriends, right? Like, they see you're crazy, and they love you anyway, right? <laughs> Turn to your friend that you came here with tonight or your family member and say, thank you for loving me in my crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. I like that. Girlfriends are certainly part of the more of Christmas, aren't they? Very, very thankful for my girlfriends. In 2015, my husband Kevin and I walked through one of the most difficult seasons of our marriage. 
I'll talk about it a little bit later tonight. But one of the things that happened in 2015 is that I woke up one morning inexplicably unable to walk. I could put no pressure on my legs whatsoever. My, Kev my husband, Kevin, was actually carrying me around the house for a time. And I was eventually diagnosed with a disease that impacts my joints. I'm assuming in a room this size, many of you can relate to what I'm saying. But at the time, it was so painful, I couldn't hold a coffee cup. I couldn't take the lid off the deodorant. I couldn't open doors. And um, so physically, it was painful, but emotionally, it was painful. Because suddenly, I'm not the mom that I once was. Suddenly, I'm not the wife or the friend or the coworker that I once was. And of course, it was right around the holidays. And I don't know about in your house, but in my house, I make the Christmas magic, like that great sketch we just saw. I'm the one who does the shopping and the wrapping and the baking and the decorating, and I actually love doing that stuff. I don't feel bitter about it at all, but I couldn't do it that year. And so I was feeling really desperate and really sad. And one night, there was a knock on my door, knock, knock, knock. And I hobbled over to it. <laughs> open the door, and there stood some of my closest friends. They had wrapping paper, they had hot chocolate, they had Christmas movies, and they came into my house and they just started making Christmas magic. They pulled out my kids' gifts and they started wrapping them, they tidied up, they put on the Christmas movies, they made the hot chocolate, they decorated for me, and it felt like a miracle, like they were actually lighting up my darkness. And I know it didn't seem like much to them, but to me, it felt like everything. I actually got through the holidays this year because of them. That's why I love a room like this where we can just celebrate sisterhood and how we support each other in those dark seasons. Okay, so back to my boys. Will you show that picture one more time? So um, we're on vacation in Florida, obviously the most magical place on earth. Um, <laughs> someone gave us their house for a week. It was really, really generous. But so we went on this trip, and you know on vacation, it was sunny because it was Florida. And we were unplugged from social media, and just no adulting had to happen whatsoever. And we came back just before Thanksgiving. And so suddenly, you know, you're in vacation mode, but you're just like thrust into holiday mode. And all of a sudden, December has like taken me hostage with its to-do list and the things that you have to get accomplished. And I was just feeling really overwhelmed. I came down with PVB post-vacation blues. <laughs> it's a real diagnosis. <laughs> But I was actually feeling really sorry for myself. Like, it was kind of first-worldy, but I was like, poor me, I have to unpack suitcases, and I have to go run errands, and I have to, like, think about Christmas. Like, I just became very sullen and dramatic. But part of the problem, honestly, is that I felt so down after returning from vacation because there are things, good things, that I long for things in my heart and things in my soul that I want, especially around the holidays. Like, I want a meaningful, memorable, remarkable, magical Christmas for myself and for my family. I just unashamedly want that. But sometimes, in the wanting of that, the pressure that I put on myself, and let's be honest, the pressure that culture puts on a lot of us to accomplish it all can feel like a lot. 
And not just to accomplish it all, but to accomplish it all while feeling a certain way, like you're supposed to feel holly and jolly and merry and bright all the time in December, right? But sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. I long to wade through the, the mess and the details and the undue pressure and just get to the heart of Christmas, be present with the people that I love, and I think that's why coming home from vacation was so intense for me, because it felt like that on vacation, right? Like you're present, you're with the people that you love, and I know life isn't vacation and it's kind of unrealistic, but there is something in that that I long for this Christmas. And it got me thinking, what are the things that all of us long for this Christmas? Like, I wonder if you could wade through the pressure, if you could wade through the details, if you could unplug for just a little bit, what are the things that you're longing for Christmas 2019, the last Christmas of the decade? What are you longing for? What hopes and wishes and yearnings do you have for this season? For some of you, maybe you just need a group of girlfriends that you can laugh with tonight. They'll wax you later, and that's enough for you. Maybe for others of you, you are longing for a drama-free holiday, finally. Like, no family drama, no work drama, no relationship drama, just drama-free would be the greatest Christmas of your life. For others of you, you're longing to let go of materialism, right, and just celebrate a simply Christmas. For others of you, people need things from you, right? the expectations on you, there's a lot of them, and you just want some me time this Christmas. Like, let me just step away for a little bit and take care of myself this Christmas. Some of us, we long to make time for one of the most profound and important Christmas traditions in world history, and that is watching Hallmark movies and um, Falalala Lifetime movies. <laughs> I know there's a lot of jokes about these movies, but I love them. Like, they're very reliable, right? <laughs> they're, they're never gonna throw you a curveball. They're never gonna throw you a plot twist. Like, when, when life is complicated, Hallmark movies aren't, and so they're really good for us. They're all the same, right? Like, there's a big city businesswoman, and she's been wounded by Christmas for some reason, and she can't bring herself to celebrate it, but for some reason her job sends her to a small town. <laughs> and there's a man there. <laughs> and he owns the local Christmas cookie factory because that's a real thing. <laughs> or he runs the local ice sculpting contest. Or he's Santa Claus himself. <laughs> she just doesn't know it yet, and over time they fall in love and her heart warms to Christmas, and then she moves to the town or to the North Pole and happily ever after. I love these movies so much because you can just count on them. Some of us long for an uninterrupted time just to watch cheesy holiday movies without apologizing for it. <laughs> Others of us long for elves to take the things off of our to-do list and magically accomplish them, right? And then others of us are the opposite. We're like, no, 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 don't take my to-do list. 
Like all I long for for Christmas is a blank sheet of paper and a brand new Sharpie, and I'm gonna write things down, and I'm gonna cross them off, <laughs> and it is gonna feel so satisfying. Like that is what I want for Christmas. Others of you, you long for a peaceful holiday, right? Like financial peace or peace from anxiety, peace so you can sleep at night. That's what I need. For some of you, you've been caring for aging parents or maybe for children with special needs, and you're just longing for a new season this year. For some of you, you long to see justice happen. Like things feel wrong in the world right now, and you're longing to see them made right. For others of you, you're marking your holiday a little bit differently this year. Maybe this is the first Christmas after that big life event, the first Christmas after the diagnosis, or the first Christmas after you lost the loved one, the first Christmas after something significant has changed, and so you're longing to mark it differently this year because it feels really important. For others of you, maybe on the other side of the spectrum, you're longing to celebrate in a new way because this is the first Christmas with a baby or the first Christmas when you're married or the first Christmas just before graduating and you're so excited. Some of us were longing for just the perfect moment. I talked to my sister today and she told me I could tell you this, but she's like, this better be the year I get the ring. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and for some of us, we're just longing for that, right? Or for the baby, or for the raise, or for the recognition. Like, there's just the one thing that if it happened, it would make 2019 the Christmas to remember. So I have to tell you this story. And um, I, I wouldn't tell this to a group of men. I would only tell this to women because you will appreciate it in a way that men wouldn't. But I actually had the perfect moment this year. 2019, it has already happened for me. Okay, and before I tell you the story, I have to ask you a question. How many of you, you know, you're a grown woman, and most of the time you act like a grown woman, but every once in a while, your inner teenager, like, shows up, and you feel a little insecure again, or a little angsty again. Okay, a few of you, not all of you, but a few of you. So this was the perfect moment for my inner teenager. Okay, this was not the perfect moment for adult Aubrey, but for 16-year-old Aubrey. Here we go. So I was at a conference a few months ago, and I was there with a pretty well-known speaker. And because of that, I got to have the sort of once-in-a-lifetime experience of like going in the green room and getting my hair and makeup done and getting swag bags and like all of this VIP treatment. It was really, really fun. Well, at the end of the conference, I'm standing there in the lobby, kind of this area, chatting, and out of the corner of my eye, I can tell that there's somebody waiting to talk to me. And I kind of wait, because I'm not 100% sure, but they're still there. And I look over, and lo and behold, it is my boyfriend from when I was 16 years old. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I mean, I am happily married. I love my husband deeply. I have not thought of this guy in 20-plus years. We're not friends on social media. We've had no contact. But the moment that I saw him, my inner teenager, like, rose from the dead. And um, all of a sudden, I was like, OMG, do I look cute? Like, OMG, what is, what is he going to say to me? Like, I got nervous and excited, and I forgot that I was this grown woman all of a sudden. Um, 
I don't know how many of you are the right age to remember the 90s, but especially if you were a teenager in the 90s. You will understand what I mean when I tell you that this boy was a grunge god. <laughs> he wore corduroy pants, and he wore oversized flannel shirts, and he wore Doc Martin boots, and his hair hung in his face, and he played guitar, and he was brooding, and I was in love with him. But he broke up with me for an older girl who was 18 who smoked cigarettes and drove a Mustang. And um, my parents were strict, church-going folk. I was not allowed to smoke cigarettes or drive a Mustang. And so he broke up with me, and it broke my heart. And so between us, it was really good seeing him because he did not age well. Um, <laughs> thank you for clapping for that. He really didn't. It's not very Christmas spirity of me to say, but <laughs> he had on a Matthew McConaughey t-shirt. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you know who that is. It's the actor from Texas that says, all right, all right, all right. You know, I, I don't know why, but he had on that t-shirt. And um, so he didn't look good, and I was really glad about it. Because um, <laughs> I did look good, remember? My hair and my makeup are done. And so if you're ever going to run into your 16-year-old boyfriend, that's the way to do it. <laughs> so um, we talk really briefly. <laughs> and then he says, Aubrey, you've done really well for yourself. And I, well, thank you. And then he said, <laughs> you're like kind of famous. Now here's the thing, I'm not like kind of famous. I'm not even close to like kind of famous, but I was there with a like kind of famous person, and so it was like fame by osmosis. But um, instead of saying all that, I just went, ha, well, great to see ya. And I walked away. <laughs> really. I walked away coolly and casually, and then I called all my friends, and I was like, you'll never guess what just happened, and it was really like, Merry Christmas to me, right? <laughs> Teenage revenge, fantasy, check, all of my longings have come true for 2019, and it wasn't something my kids accomplished. It wasn't something my husband has done. It wasn't even that my latest book came out. It was that I saw my old boyfriend, and I looked awesome. Um, <laughs> So thank you. Thank you for appreciating that. I knew you would. I knew you would. Back to our question, what are you longing for this Christmas? Some of you, you're just longing for something fun and silly and lighthearted to happen, right? And for others of you, you might be actually brokenhearted this Christmas. You're longing for that relationship to be repaired. You're longing for your heart to be restored. For some of you, maybe you're just somewhere right in the middle of that. What are you longing for this Christmas? A few years ago, I would have answered that question really differently than I would today. And this is my Grinch story. I promised you I would tell it to you. But a few years ago, I would have told you that the thing I most longed for was like the, the perfect Instagram-worthy, you know, Pinterest-y Christmas, like the perfect Christmas. Which, as you can tell already, and if you know me, you know that that's kind of weird because that's not actually me. That's not who I am. I, I brought a picture to show you of my one attempt at doing something on Pinterest. <laughs> this is not from the internet. This is actually mine. I tried to make those, and that's what came out. <laughs> um, 
Some of you who are bakers might know what I did wrong. I still don't know. But um, <laughs> this is who I am as an adult, so everyone, just so we're clear. But in spite of this, in my imagination, I'm someone who can pull off a really, like, perfect Christmas. And part of that is because when Kevin and I were first married, my mom gifted us with her Christmas tree. And um, it was the perfect postcard, classic, beautiful Christmas tree. It was elegant, and it had, you know, matching lights and um, the right decorations, and it was just lovely. And um, I brought a picture. This is not the actual tree, but um, in my mind, I may be looking back with rose-colored glasses. In my mind, this is what the tree looked like. And in my mind, this was the standard by which all Christmas trees should be. I'm telling you that because about eight years ago, just after my youngest son was born, my husband took our two older kids shopping, and they came home a few hours later, and they started hauling in giant box after giant box after giant box, and their eyes are lit up, and they're so excited. And they came in the room, and they said, Mom, guess what? We have a surprise for you. You're never going to believe it. It's the biggest Christmas tree in the whole world. And we're going to get rid of our old tree, and we're going to have this tree from now on. And they start taking pieces of tree outside of, out of these boxes. And they start stacking them up one by one. And then my husband has to go borrow an extension ladder to bring the next piece and the next piece, and um, I have another picture for you of the tree. Um, it is... <laughs> it's over two stories tall. It's six feet wide at the widest, and it's actually from a mall. This is a mall tree. A mall was going out of business, and my husband <laughs> thought he should buy the tree from the mall and bring it to our living room. <laughs> the poet Maya Angelou says that you can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle rainy days, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas lights. I would add to that gargantuan Christmas trees, because I pulled my husband aside, and I said, just so we're clear, <laughs> you've ruined Christmas. <laughs> and if that wasn't dramatic enough, I added, forever. <laughs> you've ruined Christmas forever. My boys heard me and they started crying. Yeah, it was a good moment. <laughs> Kevin went upstairs and he slammed the door. And it was our best Christmas ever. <laughs> I, I ruined their longings that year. They were longing to surprise me, and I couldn't get past my longing for perfection, and I ruined their Christmas that year. Now, I'm going to tell you how this story ended a little bit later, because what happened with our perfect tree is actually an amazing story. And I love our gargantuan tree now. It's, you know, a staple part of our family life. I can't imagine Christmas without it, but it definitely took me a while. 
The reason that I'm bringing up longings tonight is because when we talk about the Christmas story, when we talk about the birth story of Jesus, one of the things that we don't often talk about are the longings that are there. Most of us, you know, we know about Joseph and Mary. We know about the angels. We know about the shepherds and the wise men and baby Jesus born in a manger, the most famous feeding trough in all of history. <laughs> but what we don't often consider are the events, sort of the prequel that led up to the birth of Jesus, before the wise men, before the shepherds, before the angel even came to Mary. There are some important events for us to understand. I'm going to just very quickly read you something from the book of Luke chapter 1. Here's what it says. When Herod was the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So before we have Mary and Joseph, sort of the main couple that we all know about, there's this other couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Her husband, Zechariah, was a priest. There's no claymation movies about them, although I think there should be. But they were in their 60s, faithful people, salt of the earth people, spiritual leaders in their communities, but they couldn't have a baby. And unfortunately, in this day and age, one of the sad realities of ancient culture is that women were looked down upon, shamed, when they couldn't have children. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah spent decades, decades and decades, longing for a child. But on top of that, also longing for their social shame to be removed so that they could hold their head high in their community again. So the story goes that Zechariah was on duty in the temple that week, and um, his job was to burn incense, and there was also this crowd outside of the temple waiting, praying, and that's another group that we don't often talk about, this crowd that's waiting outside of the temple. So Zechariah is in the temple, an angel appears to him and tells him that he and Elizabeth are finally going to have a child. It's going to be a special baby named John, the cousin of Jesus. And Zechariah, I love this moment, he doesn't believe the angel. In fact, he sort of mansplains mir miracles to the angel. And um, he says, like, no, 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 we're in our 60s. Like, there's no baby coming. And the angel actually shuts Zechariah's mouth for nine months. The guy can't speak until the baby is born. And some of you in this room are like, hmm. <laughs> There's some people in my life that I might be okay with if an angel shut their mouth for nine months. Like, I wouldn't be mad about that. Here's the point. Before we get to what we often consider to be the Christmas story, we've got this cast of characters. Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. And then we've got this crowd of people waiting outside of the temple. The other thing that's going on historically leading up to the birth of Jesus is this. At this point in history, Caesar Augustus, who was the first emperor of Rome, wanted power. 
and the guy was oppressing the Israelite people, but he didn't take over nations in order to destroy them. He did so in order to convert them into little Roman citizens because he wanted more and more followers and more and more people for his kingdom. And so the Israelite people, God's people, were losing their national and their spiritual identity. And then the other detail that's going on is this. The Israelite people themselves had been waiting, praying, longing for 400 years for God to show up and rescue them. 400 years. There had been a time of silence from God. I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's around 400 years, 400 years where God seemed silent. And the people were waiting and waiting and waiting, generations waiting for God to show up and do something new, rescue them, help them, just speak to them again. Here's why I'm telling you all of this, because in the Christmas story, we have so much longing. Elizabeth is longing for a baby. Zechariah longing to speak again. The crowd of people outside of the temple longing to see what's going on. Even our, the villain of the story, right, Augustus, is longing for more power. The Israelite people are longing to hear from God, longing for rescue. And then even in the folks that we're more familiar with, Mary is longing to see how her pregnancy and her story unfolds. The wise men are longing to find this baby boy king. Shepherds are longing for the promised savior. The entire Christmas story is one of just deep, deep longing. It is as if the entire world is ripe with expectation, ripe with yearning and anticipating historically, politically, emotionally, spiritually, everything is just pregnant with longing, waiting for something to happen, waiting for dreams to come true, waiting for hope to arrive, longing for shame to be removed, longing for light in the darkness, and it is in the middle of all of that longing that the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the light of the world was born as if he just might be the answer that the world is longing for. I told you that 2015 was one of our most difficult years. It was a season of longing like we have never experienced. One of the things was that I got sick, but what you might not know is that same week that I got sick, we opened the doors to Renewal Church four years ago. So Kevin and I were celebrating, we were excited, like all that God had been birthing in us was finally coming to fruition. That same week, we opened the doors to our church. My first book, a book called Overcomer, came out, and so there was all this goodness and all of this excitement, but then I got sick out of nowhere. The other thing that was going on that season is that my family and I were grieving deeply because my cousin Cameron, who was like a brother to me growing up, like an uncle to my kids, was snowshoe hiking in Crater Lake National Park, Oregon. Cameron stepped out onto a snow cornice. He took a picture of Crater Lake and sent it to me. I still have it on my phone, one of the most beautiful pictures that I have. And then Cameron plummeted to his death, leaving behind two sons and a fiancé. 
little guys. Four years later, park rangers still haven't found his body. So we were grieving, not just his death, but like the way he died, so unspeakable. There's, there's nothing good to say about that. And then the other thing that was going on is our youngest son, Nolan, was recovering from spinal cord surgery, had a lot of ongoing care. Now he is doing wonderfully now. You would never know, and I'm so grateful for his care. So that's not something I would complain about, but this is what I mean when I tell you it was a season of longing like I had never experienced. Both the good and the bad, and I did not know how to make sense of it, and I didn't know where God fit into any of it, if God even did. And so I just began to pray like, okay, God, you see us here, right? If you do, you got to show up in this longing. Like you're going to have to do something because I don't know how we're going to make it through this. Well, one night, a friend in the middle of that season actually invited me out to a concert. And I needed a night out. And so I said, yes, I'll go out with you. We got to the theater and... As soon as we sat down, the lights descended and a screen came down from the ceiling and it began flashing trigger warnings and then displaying all of these really disturbing images like women suffering and children suffering and, and just disturbing things. And I was like, what kind of concert is this? And um, then a choir walked on stage and they were dressed in these dark robes and they began singing this low, slow, ancient funeral dirge. And soon the mood in the theater, which at first, you know, you're excited to be there for the concert, your mood like sinks to the ground because it's so overwhelming. And I turned to my friend, I'm like, I don't know if I can be here anymore. Like, I think we might need to go. What I didn't realize is that there was actually another choir Disguised as audience members, they were surrounding the audience. And they stood up, and in the middle of all of that going on, they actually began singing over us this hopeful, joyful, triumphant song. And then they invited the whole audience to sing along with them. And so the song is growing louder and louder and louder. Now here's the thing, the disturbing images were still being displayed. And the funeral choir was still singing, but the hopeful song was growing louder and louder and louder. And somewhere in the middle of that, I realized this is what God does. Like in the middle of our deepest, darkest longings, in the middle of things that we don't have answers for, somehow, still, God is at work singing a louder song. And it is a song of hope. It is a song of wonder. It is a song of restoration. It is a song of love. God is at work in our longing singing his louder song. And ladies, Christmas is God's louder song. Christmas is a sign that no matter what we're dealing with, even when all feels lost, even when all seems dark, even when there have been years and years and years of longing, still somehow God is in the middle of it working, singing a louder song than our suffering and our pain and our longings ever could. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is God's louder song. Ladies, God has not forgotten your desires. God has not forgotten the things that you care about. 
God knows your longings. The small ones, the funny ones, and the deep, significant ones, God knows them. And God is at work on the grand scale of things, but also in our human concerns, God is there singing his louder song. Our deepest longings are not met in ribbons or tags. They are not met in packages, boxes, or bags. Our longings are not met with anything that come from a store. Our longings are met with the more of Christmas, Jesus Christ himself, who is God's louder song. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He took all of our pain, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our longings, all of our yearnings, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our anxieties. He took all of it on himself, on the cross, and then he died and rose again, creating a way for us to experience wholeness and satisfaction for our longings in him and through him. And that's what Christmas is all about. In Jesus, we are offered endless love. We are offered endless chances to start over. We are offered endless freedom from shame, endless hope, endless peace, endless joy, endless life, endless satisfaction for our longings. And it doesn't mean that life's going to go exactly the way that we think it ought to. That hasn't been my case. But what it does mean is that somehow in the middle of it, God is faithful writing a better story, singing a better song than we could ever even imagine for ourselves. That's what Christmas is about. So back to our question, what are you longing for this Christmas? What hopes and dreams do you have? All of our longings are met in Jesus. And here's the best part. We don't have to do much. Like Christmas feels like all the things we have to do, but that's not God's story for us. God says that you don't have to do much more than let him love you. Just invite him into your longings and he will meet that. Okay, so back to the Christmas story fiasco. I'll end with this because you have to hear how the story ends. So um, I'm mad. <laughs> and I sneak down in the middle of the night after everyone's asleep. And I stand in front of the giant tree and I start bawling. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, God, you got to do something here. <laughs> like, if, if you actually do know my longings and you actually see them, then you have to meet them with your louder song here, okay? Because I don't know what to do. Well, I went to, back to bed, and the next morning, I get a phone call from a friend. And she works with an organization that resettles refugees and also resettles women in situations of domestic violence. And I'm on the phone with her, and she says that there is this brave woman and her children that have just left a horrible situation, and she wants to give them the dignity of a really, really lovely Christmas because they've lost everything. And I kid you not, on the phone she says, I found someone to donate a beautiful Christmas meal for them. And I found someone to donate Christmas gifts. And I found someone who's going to donate Christmas decorations. But for some reason, I'm having the hardest time finding someone who will give them a tree. She said, you don't know of anybody who has one, do you? I said, yeah, I think I know somebody who has one. So the boys and I wrapped up our perfect little tree 
and we donated it. And I know, like, me giving up my tree is nothing compared to what that woman has been through, okay? I, I know that. The point is to say that this is what God does in our lives, ladies. No matter what, no matter how disordered our longings become, no matter how we try to fill them with shallow things or unhealthy things or perfect trees, no matter the pressure that we put on ourselves, no matter if you made a mess of things yesterday or you're going to make a mess of things tomorrow, no matter what, when we invite God into our longings, he says, I love you so much that I'm going to transform them and I'm going to transform you in the meantime. If you are longing for anything this Christmas, ladies, look no further than Jesus. He will meet you in your longings and transform them and transform you while he's at it. God is singing his louder song over you, and that's simply Christmas. All right, so as we wrap up for tonight, I would love for you to grab this card that you received when you walked in. And we would love to hear from you. It even says that right here. We would love to hear from you. I know for some of you tonight, you just came because you wanted a girl's night out. And so you don't have to fill this out. Like, you're like, I just wanted to get away. I don't want to fill out anything. That's fine. Like, no one's going to judge you or stare at you as, you as you don't fill out your card, okay? But um, for some of you, maybe you were touched by something tonight. Maybe it was a conversation you had out there in the atrium, or maybe it was one of the songs you heard, or maybe it was the skit. Maybe it was something that I said tonight. For some of you, God is doing something in your heart. And we've got some categories here that we would love for you, if you find yourself here, to check these off. And I'm just going to go through them really quickly. One is tonight's message made me think of Christmas differently this year. Maybe you didn't think about Christmas as being the answer to your longings, but that's what Christmas is, and so you're going to check that one. Or maybe you're recommitting your life to Jesus tonight. You used to walk with God, but it's been a while. But the things that you've been using to fill up your heart and your longings, those are shallow things, and you know they're not filling you. And so tonight you're ready to say, yes, Jesus, I'm coming back to you because you're the one who fills me up. You're the one who satisfies my longings. If that's you, I want you to check that one off. And maybe some of you tonight, you have never had a loving relationship with Jesus. But you sense that God is stirring in you. You sense that God is moving in you. And tonight you're ready. Like you're like, I want to have my longings met in Jesus. I want to know his love. I want to know his satisfaction and his wholeness. And so tonight for you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. And don't worry, I'm not going to make it awkward. I'm not going to make you like raise your hand or say anything out loud, okay? But we are going to pray tonight. If you want to receive Jesus' gift of salvation, I would love for you to check that off tonight. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes while I pray. And even if you're not a praying person, that's okay. Just fake it till you make it. Pretend like you're praying, okay? <laughs> close your eyes with me. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer for each of these different categories. And if you found yourself there, I want you to pray with me. And then we're going to give you a few minutes to actually fill out the card. We'd love your comments tonight. This team has worked so hard. 
They have put their heart and souls into this event, and they would love to hear from you, just like what you loved about it and what would make next year even better. As you can tell, they put a lot of lines here because they're longing for feedback. That's their longing this year. All right, so close your eyes with me and let's pray. Ladies, tonight, if you're thinking about Christmas differently, I want you to pray with me, not aloud, but just in your mind and in your heart. God, thank you. I am thinking about Christmas differently this year. It's not about all of the stuff I make it out to be. It's about the fact that Jesus meets all of our longings. Thank you. Maybe because of tonight you want to start walking with Jesus again. You're ready to recommit your life to him. If that's you, I want you to pray with me in your mind and in your heart. God, I'm returning to you this Christmas because you are the one my heart longs for. I miss you. Give me grace to walk with you again and help me hear your louder song for my life. And lastly, maybe you're someone who has never received Jesus' gift of salvation, but you want to. You can sense that God is stirring something in you tonight. That's God calling you to himself, by the way. If that's you, I want you to pray with me in your mind and in your heart. God, I don't know everything that it means to follow Jesus. But I believe you are the one my heart longs for. I want to receive the gift of your salvation tonight. Please forgive me for not loving you as I should. Please save me and set me free to have a loving relationship with you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again so that my longings can be met in you. And now I'm just going to pray for all of you ladies. God, give these ladies an incredible Christmas where with whatever they're dealing with, big or small, that they would hear your louder song in and through Jesus speaking over them. We are so thankful that the birth of Jesus came at just the right time so that our longings would be recognized and met in you. Amen. Ladies, take a few minutes, fill out the card, and then Kelly will come back up. Thank you for having me. Merry Christmas! Thank you.